50% of the jump in the gun crew has it evolved over the years? All the ones that are allowed, allowed legally to be on a podcast. It's like a band that's been around for years. The cast just changes. The stars, the stars are man. Uh, yeah, or stars. Like Tom Kitten. Sugar Babes. Uh, Sugar Babes is who I was thinking of, yeah. <laughs> so we were, on such, we were on such a buzz after Sunday. We said we'd do something. Um, Carl, you got a new gig with Eurosport? Yeah, well, European Athletics, not quite Eurosport, but yes, uh, I was a late call-up due to a COVID positive, or no, a COVID close contact. And uh, so I got the offer during the week and uh, seized the opportunity with both hands and looked at my friend Ronan Duggan and said, yes, I'm going to take this and not bring you. Sorry, Ronan. <laughs> they, they, want, they want Cahill. Um, they, they don't want you. <laughs> Here's European Athletics. Picking up, picking up commentary gigs, not losing them. Yeah, but it it was fun. It was uh, it was with Hannah England and Mark Butler from across the water, two very friendly Brits. So that was uh, a whole lot of fun. And uh, yeah, good days racing. Initially, I was looking at it thinking, oh Jesus, five hours. But I'm sure, as anyone who went will know, it flew in. Um, you've been to a good few of these Eurocross. Um, where does it stack up? Uh, I'd say it was the best one I've been to anyway. And even talking to Mark Butler, who's been to, I can see Ronan shaking his head there. Um, <laughs> talking to Mark Butler, uh, who's been to all 27 Eurocrosses, he said it's definitely as good as, good as any he's been to. Um, I've been to, how many have I been to? I've been about five, I'd say. Five or, no, maybe six. And uh, yeah, it was the best among them that I've been to, for sure. In terms of crowds, in terms of competition, the results probably went the right way in terms of, not being bought in Turkish athletes from Kenya winning the races. So you actually had a kind of genuine European winning each race. Um, and then the atmosphere was definitely as good or better, I'd say, than any previous atmosphere. And then also home medals, which we didn't have in 2009, that always makes a championship decent. Yeah, Ronan, do you have a good day out? Yeah, it's a tremendous day in fairness. Like there was kind of action the whole way through and I know we all kind of knew that Jacob was going to win the last race but before that it was kind of pretty much up in the air for most of the races like the two junior races are essentially unknowns in terms of uh, the general public anyway you know and then uh, outside of Vatacletti uh, in the in the it's the under 23 women's race it was pretty much that was an unknown as well and then Hicks versus McElhenney like that was probably the race of the day just because we had a, an individual uh, up the top of that one but it was kind of a almost a come down after after that because you were was such excitement for that race and he really looked like he was going to do it over that last lap. But yeah, Hicks kind of always had a feeling that, that uh, Hicks was going to have enough. Yeah, we can get into that in a bit. But um, with the start off the junior men's, I just picked out some of the better ones. Junior men's, good result. Kyle, there you are. You want to go first? I'm looking at your enthusiastic. I'd never jump on the mic ahead of you, Ron. Um, yeah, good result uh, for sure have to take your hat off so, I mean I think they were always probably going to be first or second once the junior men clicked right uh, Abdelajel didn't exactly like have much form to go on coming in but we knew what he'd done in the summer over 5,000 and I think on paper most of us probably thought he's going to be the third man or possibly the third man um, I think he ran an 8.20 3k just before it so we were like okay it probably needs to be faster than that to be up in the top 10 or 15 but he ran, as my brother called him, he's just like a diesel engine. He just kept churning through that last lap and uh, brilliant run in sixth place. Um, Dean Casey ran very well as well. Had a serious lash at the front. Um, didn't quite hold on up there, but still secured them that team silver. And to be honest, I know we go on about Nick Riggs, but I was so impressed by uh, the mental fortitude of Nick Riggs when... when you're going in as a medal contender and people are thinking, right, you're definitely going to be top three, top five or six at worst. And then you suddenly 2K and find yourself struggling to hold pace. Um, I think 90 something percent of athletes end up half throwing the towel in and wetting the bed basically mentally. And in Nick Riggs position probably would have wound up finishing, you know, because he was badly struggling with a stitch as well in the last lap. You could see he was kind of running sideways almost for half the yeah. last lap, struggling with that. And I think so many athletes, once that top 10 position was gone, would have ended up finishing 30th or 40th or 50th. And Nick Craig's absolutely emptied himself on the last lap to hang on for a team silver. And with one more place, it would have been team gold. So that was uh, for all the talent we've seen, the natural physical talent he has. I think that was an indication of the sort of 
psychological fortitude that the young lad has as well that he hung on so well for that third team spot I think the home crowd plays a big advantage there just the wall of noise egging you on definitely yeah I mean that was but at the same time people are shouting at you and, and plenty of other athletes didn't run well with all that noise you know and they probably came in in decent shape and they they also didn't run well whether it was the pressure got to them or whatever it was but uh for a 16 year old to still run well reasonably well not that he had a brilliant run for him like but to have not let it become a disaster and not let team medals slip away when perhaps his individual performance was starting to slip away was hugely impressive but that Christensen lad Axel van Christensen in that race is something of a machine you have to say yeah you'd have to think as well like that there's only actually 12 seconds between Griggs and finishing fifth like at that, pretty much every year, particularly in the juniors, is that, that there's two, three, four guys maybe that, that are ran away from the rest of the field, but fifth to like 20th is, is nothing. It's kind of like that NCAA style. You know, you look, you have a, a bad moment for a couple of seconds and you lose 10 places. It's very similar in this, but that, in that section between fifth and maybe 20th, there's so many guys in there of a very similar standard. Um, but yeah, like he wasn't, wasn't that far off at all. Um, really, even even though, as you said, he's not having a great run. But yeah, Christensen, even the top few there, I think we probably went in, I was kind of going in, going out, Griggs will finish and he'll medal anyway individually. But actually, when you look back and I know with hindsight, um, like Christensen is, what, an 840 steepler and you've got a hell of a lot of, of very, very strong um, guys in there as well, or the 5K champ as well, and that the Norwegian guy as well that, that uh, you know, got, got signed up on the, uh, a couple of days beforehand. Um, in terms of his uh, citizenship, so you've got a whole r- range of guys that are as good as him, if not if not better over the longer distance. And maybe Briggs is a more of a fifteen three k guy, really. And he is still only just about to be seventeen. What in, a, in another week or two, you know? Yeah, you mentioned NCAA's. How much of a help is it from racing ten k to go down to six? For the likes of Abdel, they just have that strength. Yeah, I'd say like what well, he finished twenty seventh or something like that at regionals. Like he's he's been he hasn't raced a whole lot. I think he's two two three races over there. Um, but certainly doing the training anyway, and maybe just coming in with this being some bit of a focus anyway, coming into into this couple of couple of weeks. But he definitely like he probably underperformed in the the Euro Juniors in the summer. Um, for him like uh, so you're kind of coming in with that dropping down from that kind of longer distances, whereas a lot of those guys maybe. That are running here have never ran anything longer than 6k so like that that they're at their limit there you're a lot of guys like, like say say the likes of Keen mcphillips that can hang on over 6k aren't going to hang on over over 10k and when you're running a hard 6k there as, as, a, as a junior and in something like that if you go with that leading group i'd say it's a lot more difficult i wonder what legel would have been like if he went with that leading group would he have would he have blown or is it the fact that he came through the field that that actually helped him more than anything else i think yeah you, there's definitely a point there that uh it looked like Casey and uh, Griggs were kind of redlining due to what Christensen was doing in that first 2K. And then that definitely probably cost them a few positions. But then again, they went out to finish, I'm sure, in the top three or top five regardless. Um, and they probably cost themselves some. And Legel hanging back very sensibly once uh, Christensen ran everyone off their feet. He was starting to run everyone off their feet in the last 2K. I'd say if you looked at the splits, he probably wasn't actually speeding up, except the others were just falling to pieces. So very, very smart and brilliant run by Legel. Yeah, great silver medal. Well, roll around. Liam, did you see the uh, the German girls in the, the junior race? Uh, Kyle, I didn't actually see it at the time, but Kyle was showing me uh, yes, a couple of days back there on, on, our, on the RT coverage. Not that I like to mention RT, say no to RT. But um, yeah, Carl, Carl was mentioning it. You didn't see it, did you? No. The I think it's what three of the Germans uh, dinners. There's nowhere to be seen in that in that junior race at all for the first maybe 600, 800 meters, and they basically are maybe what like forty or fifty, Carl, and they basically yeah. step out and go right. You've all ran out, ran like lunatics for the first five or six hundred meters, and they basically step out of the of the back of the field and just kind of glide up the outside. Uh, like something out of Star Wars or something like like the dark side coming up the outside and uh, just, just hop into the front and what there's three of them in the top 10 then at the end but, uh, yeah I think it was was it four in the top 10 I think overall and obviously they killed the team event but yes it was uh, I, I described it to you Ronan as like a, a cycling team coming to the front for a sprinter at three kilometres to go on the Tour de France they just all came up on one side together having hung back and I think there was definitely an instruction by the German 
junior team manager to uh, not, because I think they've run a short lap to start and they probably knew it's going to be absolute chaos into that first bend. It was only like less than 200 metres downhill run into that tight turn. Um, so juniors especially are always going to go a bit wild on that first 200. And the Germans, though, very smartly just ran sensibly, hung out. And, you know, even if it was a 4K race, they did all their running in like the second kilometre rather than the first one, as so many others did. Yeah, four in the top 10, Cahill, and uh, Jasmine and Nanette Stahl finishing 63rd and Don Gaelin. Great, great pronunciation, you have to say there. Um, do, we have a, do we have a German term for dunking it in? Germans do have a term for everything. <laughs> I'm sure there is. Bit of, bit of shout and proud of me there, uh, laughing at her, taking, what is it, taking delight in her uh, misfortune. Lest we forget, I once finished 85th in the under 20 race. So, however badly she dunked it in, I can out dunk her. <laughs> well, hey, look, there's nothing better than being there or thereabouts. <laughs> Uh, moving on to the 23, 23 men. Was that your race of the day? I'd say for me, for me it was anyway, for sure. Uh, like the the fact that you had Hicks in there, Hicks and, and McElhenney and kind of, we were watching it back on the RT covers. It's kind of like, uh, we're, I was chatting to Carl this the other day, you know, it was a man, Con, Con Hula and the writer said, I missed the tally 90, I was there. Yeah. And uh, at the Eurocross, I came back going like, yeah, I saw the race, but I kind of have to rewatch it on, on the covers to really see it, you know. Um, and yeah, Hicks and, and McElhenney and even just how that played out with them kind of slowing down over that last lap and, and everyone else catching up. And I can't remember the, the man's name, the Luxembourg fellow, Cahill. He was my athlete of the meet anyway. Ruben Querenjean. That's phenomenal. Querenjean, yeah. What a guy. Just this big, lanky yoke. Did, you see, the, did you see the clip of when uh, Dara passed him by? He gave a clap of the hands. Yeah, disturbing. <laughs> Very courteous people, the Luxembourg <laughs> Looks at the world. Yeah, very strange. I, I yeah, I stopped it and went. Did you see that? I went back and watched it again, and it was uh, very strange. You'd have to kind of question what he was at there. Imagine him maybe finished fourth after giving an old clap for Dara. Yeah, it's mad. But <laughs> very strange. But yeah, he was my he was the main man. I really enjoyed the fact that it was kind of like oh Hicks, Maglani running away from the field. Clearly the the two classy as classiest athletes, and then. 500 to go, oh God, who's this guy who no, we haven't even copped yet? And uh, kind of half of me was kind of going, will this guy go on and win it? Will I enjoy that as well if he goes on and wins it and, and they've let him back into it? It would have been a bit of crack. But uh, no, that was a great race. Carl, you profiled Dara the week before. Um, was he gunning for, gunning for a medal? He was. I think he always is. And he always puts very high expectations on himself, which you kind of sometimes worry almost, you know, that he'll... He'll never be happy. And he, he did even joke during the week that, look, he'd be delighted with a medal. But he said, look, you know well, if if, I, if it's silver, I'll probably still have that bloody scowl on my face. Um, but thankfully, he didn't this time. Um, he was very adamant that it was his best ever training block. And, you know, he had such bad luck twice this year with the positive tests ahead of Euro indoors for obviously COVID, not doping. Um, but, and then the debacle at the European under 23 outdoors was a sickener for him to get put in the B race. And really his chance was gone before he even started that day, having to do all his own pacing. So you just hope that the cards fed his way a bit in terms of the luck and getting to the line healthy. And from there, he made no mistake. I mean, it was a, a masterclass in composure really from Dara. He, he didn't, he, he said during the week he was adamant he wouldn't let the home crowd kind of get to him, like, and, you know, rather than having people scream at you, I think it's, it often, you know, you need, you need someone telling you in the first half of the race to be relaxed rather than shouting at you, come on, Dara, come on, Dara. Um, so, yeah, I think he, he did that brilliantly. He did absolutely nothing in terms of pushing the pace until the last 2K when it matters in cross country. Um, like, there's nothing I hate more than hearing someone who was up the front in the first 2k and afterwards and they finished 50th and then people say oh well done they ran so bravely they really had a go and it's like no they didn't run bravely running bravely is running smartly and running bravely in the last two kilometers um and emptying yourself with the maximal efficiency and dara was did brilliantly with that on sunday you know he he did everything as efficiently as possible for the first two thirds of the race and everything extremely courageously then for the last third, third of the race, which was the, the perfect way to run. And I genuinely think there's nothing he could have done better to try and beat Charlie Hicks. Like I think the best athlete won the race. And I think Darren knew that, but he attained the very best finishing position he could himself. 
Yeah. Yeah. He, watching them run like the when he watched back in the footage, the amount of times that he's he's trying to get to the better ground the whole way through the race, like he just seemed to be such an intelligent run as much as anything else. Like you know, you're talking about bravery there, but it was just he was constantly eyes on going and 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 a kind of a cool head to go right. I need to move to this side of the course. I need to move here now. And he was always kind of on the ball. I know it's a home course. He's ran it plenty of times, but at the same time, he was just kind of clued into where where to go at all times. Did you get carried away, Carl, when the team result went up on commentary? Uh, I did. I actually didn't go too crazy. Um, we were kind of warned, probably for obvious reasons beforehand, about impartiality and sort of, you know, like to both me and Hannah, you know, in terms of like, don't be talking too much about the Irish or the Brits if they're back in 20th or 30th. If they're up the front, fair enough, you can tell their stories and stuff. But uh, see, I was quite cautious to try to at least pretend to be impartial, but... I mean, anytime anyone, when especially when you know some of the athletes for so many years, to see them champions of Europe, you do definitely. Uh, I wouldn't say get a bit emotional, but my my cold, cynical heart definitely get smiles a little bit more and feels a little warmer to see our on the being belted out. Yeah, it was great. Yeah, me Did you see our on the being, Liam? Um, no, I don't know the words. I'm ashamed to say. I the lads know. Fairness, hum- the lads know. Me all power. Me all power knew he was belted out. Yeah, in fairness to Michal, he definitely won the National Anthem Award. He was absolutely <laughs> belting it out. I don't know the Italians could have won. The Italians well. were great. Yeah. Always. We had such a subdued kind of, shall I say, depressing National sure. Anthem, though. It doesn't really work for that moment, you know? We need a more French slash Italian National Anthem for the victory ceremonies. Ours is kind of in keeping with our national consciousness. It's kind of like, misery. we love misery. We are miserable. <laughs> but Michal Power brought his best enthusiasm to it in fairness he did he did um, some some people are making points how the learnings from the 2010 under 23 team what are they um, quit now because this is as good as your career is going to get <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know I would say basically that I think enjoy this while it lasts because, and I think that the big learning is that let's not assume this means absolutely anything for senior success because we know how big that void is. And we know that Jimmy Gressier and Jakob Ingebrigtsen are still on a different plane to the under 23 race. Um, but at the same time, Brian Fay in the senior race, I'm sure we'll get to that, but he was only, I think, 11 seconds off the bronze medal in the senior race. And he was, and I think he finished in his 20s at the under-23 race in Lisbon two years ago. He's obviously taken giant strides forward since under the guidance of Mr. Phelan Kelly. Um, so, like, I think, but yeah, I think the big lesson is that, it's. I think it's the, it's the big lesson the under-23 men learned that if you're not here on a Leonard and you don't break through to 334 and to kind of world 1500-meter final and you're on a big contract over in Oregon, then you're going to find it financially very hard to kind of juggle high-level training with the kind of career demands. And if you get any injuries thrown in there, life comes at you fast once you get out of college. So I think all those lads have it. A lot of them, I'd say, don't realize it now, but I think all of them have it as good as it's ever going to be for them right now because when they graduate, and maybe they'll have, I guess, the single-mindedness to go after running on a full-time basis and, I don't know, go on the dole or get a bit of part-time work. But a lot of people tend to come under pressure from family members and society in general that they should be forging ahead with their career and then that often unfortunately in Ireland if you're commuting and they want their pound of flesh employers these days often that means running takes a back seat um you hope it won't but I don't know I I, I don't I don't see that all that much has changed for what way these lads will be supported versus the way the lads 10 years ago were supported what do you think yeah, I suppose like we can't take like with data points and that kind of stuff, we can't take one thing. And, and we, we've lost all six guys from that team. And we were kind of joking about this that on the day, but like within three years, probably four of them were, were done, completely done. And then you have uh, Kiran and Ard. I know you have Dave Mack knocking around as well, but like fairly quickly, a team where you would have gone six guys, we have six. So surely two or three of them will come through. You're always going to get some bit of. Uh, kind of collateral damages are going through but we're going to have two or three guys get to the stage where they, they progress on but as Carl said there like it's it, it could be as good as it gets and, and it's hard to at the time for anyone to go this is as good as it gets and, and to enjoy you always assume it's going to get better as all six of those guys are going to be going on you know we're going to go on and win a senior title and they might do but I think we can't look at it and go 
that happened in 2010, it's going to happen now. Um, but at the same time, what what has been put in place? Like, really, it's not what we're learning from the lessons of the, of the weekend because, like, we, they're only that's only just happened. So, what lessons did we learn from 2010, and what have we put in place since? And you'd have to say nothing for that age group. There's been a lot put in for juniors, and I think there's definitely a progression in, in what we're doing with juniors. I still think we're too focused on, you know, very talented 16 or 17 year olds rather than playing the numbers game as best we can and getting as much support to as many as we can because people do uh, get lost in the sport but now 20 they're hitting 22 you're finishing college you know we had a guy in our group there a couple of years back and like very very talented 1500 meter runner and 3k guy and uh, as soon as he finished college it was you know my friends are after getting a job here in, in pwc and oh like my parents are on to me about doing a master's and this and he ends up going to to london to do his master's and you're, you end up you, you hit you hit 22 you can do your four years of college you hit 22 and then you get that's when the question starts and that's when other people you know are are starting to move to move on with their lives and do something with themselves and all that kind of bullshit and you don't actually get a chance to to chase it and that's one of the things with brian Faye. i was chatting to him uh back whatever it was last november when he was talking about going to america and i said like you're going to get a lot of heat over the next six months when you finish college you know um and those questions are going to be asked of you what are you doing and what you know, you're just running, like, what are you just running for? Like, we're, I'm working, I'm earning money. Everyone else is earning money. Everyone else is moving on with their lives. What are you doing? Oh, I'm, I'm just training for the Olympics, which is three years away. So there needs to be something put in place that allows these guys to either work or to get them closer to, like, every, everyone can take a shot at the Olympics a year out or 18 months out, but it's hard to justify doing it three or four years out, which, which these guys will be doing, like. So something needs to be put in place for them, but I'm rambling here now at this stage. I've talked too much. Kyle is getting bored. What would it be no, like? I'll never get a... bored lis- listening to you. I, I we, Ronan, of course, is far too uh, modest to point out as well, but a big shout out given that Brian Fabe was the best senior men's performer that Ronan is well, the man. I was going to get there. I was going to get there later. But who would have thought? Yeah, it? we'll get to that later, but uh, hats off. But- briefly to say that Phelan, I was talking to Phelan the other day and, and obviously he's now been coached out in, out in Washington and uh, Phelan was like, oh, I know, like, I went, like he was kind of, he was in bad form, let's say, afterwards and he was kind of saying that, uh, oh, well, I wasn't coaching, I was only coaching Heacon, I'm not coaching Faye technically, like, and I was like, what are you on about? I haven't coached him in like five years and I'm still claiming him, so. I did. It's, <laughs> I like the, it's like the soccer clubs, every club gets a bit of commission when they move on. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still waiting for the cash. Trickles all the way down. And a big shout out, while we're on the 23s as well, you'll have to give, and the big, we love our coaching shout outs in Ireland, but for Emmett Dunleavy to have guided, and obviously there's coaches in the background for both McElhenney and Keelan Kilrittle, who've helped him so much over the years. Stephen Macklin, obviously, the Dave McCarthy and stuff, but uh, for Emmett Dunleavy to coach McElhenney and Keelan Kilrittle to second and sixth, obviously the bones of that uh, team as well as a, a great coaching achievement and a brilliant for Keelan Kilrittle as well to have come back from three broken vertebrae in his back and a broken vertebra, fractured vertebra in his neck and uh, a few years ago and could have, as he said, if that one in his neck went broken, he would have been paralyzed, but it didn't happen. And he got back into running and got back to the top step of a European podium. So that's off to him. We see more like he, he was like Lagell as well on that last two K. He just came through like an absolute steam train. Like it was uh, magnificent to watch. You could you could see athletes like that almost just I don't know rise to the occasion. I suppose rather than you just get the feeling if it was on in Tilburg or Lisbon or something, they might not have finished sixth. But just on home turf, they yeah. they looked at the Germans and the Spaniards and the French and they just said, "You're in my backyard now, boys." And my favourite clip of Keelan welcoming Michal across the line and just collapsing in a, in a sea of bodies. Stewards be damned. <laughs> All right, so the next one, the relay. So we just won gold in 23s. Look like halfway through the relay, we're going to win gold again. Where did it all go wrong? <laughs> Leg three, basically. Um, <laughs> like there's, no, there's no getting around that, and that's not, that's not mean to say, I suppose, but it's clear... It's clear Shifra had like the worst run of the four and then Coskrin obviously would have been disappointed with that run as well. He had probably the second worst run. It was McGeehan and McCann. You certainly couldn't fault on legs one or two. They ran the perfect legs. Um, McGeehan in particular paced it absolutely brilliantly. And then people I think underestimate 
the last 200 when it comes to those mixed relays that even if you only really are kicking in hard the last 200 you can do serious damage and she I think put about five seconds into the rest of the field just in the space of the last 200. McCann did brilliantly um, held on to that advantage. Shifra it's it's no harm to her or it's no like fault of hers like she obviously tried her very best but she just didn't have enough in that last 400 um, and I guess surrendered that lead which was a pity, obviously, because it's, I'm sure, no more than anyone else on the course or on the team, she would have wanted to have run a lot better than that and held on to that advantage, or at least held them, held in contact with Britons. But she gave up, I think it was 16 seconds to Alex Bell, like which is a, a fair chunk, even as well as Alex Bell ran. And then on the last leg, um, I think Coscarin got, well, he said himself, you know, he, he got caught kind of in between two stools whereby he... He was five seconds faster than Benjamin West, the Brit, on paper, and he got it with, I think it was a five-second or four-second deficit, and then sprinted, basically didn't sprint past the Belgian, but he overtook the Belgian, and on paper, he would have been thinking, like, right, four or five seconds, I can I can reel in this lad, and I think with the the French guy, had a brilliant run behind him, Mie, and then the Belgian got a free ride on Coscrin for a lot of that race, and when it came down to it at the top of the hill, the, the 335 and 146 speed Coscarin normally has wasn't left in the legs, um, which was a pity. But like, again, it's look, athletes underperform at every championship. That's human nature. It's not their fault. No one's more upset than them if they do. But I think there is a bit of uh, someone, you know, has to own up here that a mistake was made in terms of the order. I think of that team was wrong, in my opinion. A uh, person who is a truly world-class 1500 meter runner where are you going to put Kieran again? You're going to put her on the long leg because you're going to want to be out on the course for the longer amount of time. Um, now, the, now, obviously, other teams didn't do that. Like Belgium, Spain, Esther Guerrero and Elise van der Lis were both on the first leg for them. So they put their strongest runner front to try and stay in the race. Britain went the other direction. They put their strongest women, Alex Bell, woman Alex Bell, on the second female leg. And ultimately, that paid off for them. And I think there's very little doubt that yes if Schieffer was on the first leg for Ireland we more than likely have been coming from behind to some degree but if you had Kieran McGinn on the third leg for Ireland with the extra it's probably about 150 metres extra that leg was because of where the start was for the mixed relay if you had an extra 150 metres of Kieran McGinn then that would have been the difference to get them definitely a medal if not a whole lot closer to the Brits and then you're looking at perhaps Andrew Coscrin been in touch with the Brits and certainly been in touch with the others um, going out on that last leg rather than having to try to bridge what was about a 40-metre deficit that ultimately probably ended up costing him the silver or bronze. Roland, do you concur? I concur. Uh, no, I think the what did Chris Akabusi say uh, in that 1991 uh, 4x4 relay is something like, uh, you either need to give me the baton uh, 10 metres up or 5 metres down. I think Koskern kind of I still think he ran like it's very hard for him to make that split decision to go when he gets to baton to go right. I can't catch that guy. I'm gonna just try and out kick these other lads and and kind of hold hold his uh, water a little bit. But I think he was kind of put in that position all right by that run of Schieffer. But I suppose for Kyle, I'll ask Kyle a hard question here. You know, uh, how do you know that Alex Bell was their best? Uh, how did the British know that she was the best runner? She won the British trial. All right, and who won the? Oh Irish yes. Trial? <laughs> oh, he into that very one. good point yes um, yeah obviously the Brits held the trial a lot of other nations didn't um, but they held a 1500 metre trial at their nationals a few weeks ago and that was what they just went first it was like the US trials they just went first two across the line um, there is obviously an argument there was talk of doing that I think after nationals but it never transpired and I suppose when it comes to the selectors and things like that it's difficult for them because they're looking at it saying you know, like Kier McGeans in Manchester, um, Kier or Schieffer Clary Butner's in Boston, Luke McCann was in South Africa, Andrew Goscombe was probably the only one in Dublin. And then you're probably like, okay, they all have to come home a couple of weeks early from where they were and probably disrupt their plans. And will they be less likely to even commit to the event then if you're if you're bringing them home early, you know, earlier than they want to be there? Um, but I think I think there probably are certain athletes like your Kieran McGeehan who are so accomplished at that distance at 1500 whereby if they tell you and give you a verbal commitment I'm in shape I'm I'm ready to roll I'll show up 
I think you do perhaps say, right, we're going to trust you here. But I think for other athletes, maybe beyond that, I think it, it would make sense. And I think it would be a lesson for next year that, look, we're a little unsure about your form, like whoever it may be, like, you know, um, whether it be Nadia Power, Amy O'Donoghue, Isild O'Donnell, Schieffer, Clary Butner, there's there's many options you could have picked, I guess, for the other leg. And perhaps you could, you probably, now, obviously, we probably, as it went, McCann ran well, Coskran's a 335 man. I don't think there was much debate that you'd probably end up picking other people for the men's side. But it, with the benefit of hindsight, you'd have to say like that a trial race might have been beneficial. And as Sonia Sullivan said earlier in the week, it, it might have changed the, changed the team if they did have a trial race. I think as well, it, in, in other years, there mightn't have been a credible alternative to to see for let's say or to or to, to Andrew and that kind of stuff where whereas particularly on that women's side outside of McGeehan you have an awful lot of of runners there like like Nadia and Amy O'Donoghue is those like there's a huge number of a kind of of that let's say between 410 and, and 430 range even if we give it that that bigger range like there's a huge number of women there at the moment of that in that in that range like so a trial wouldn't would have given you someone who's well able to run over the cross and is clearly in shape whereas at the time the time of the year that we that we have if you're particularly for an 800 meter runner you're not going to be too interested in in in, in being fit that fit at this stage or fit enough to run a, a decent 600 over cross like because i would assume like we can call that 16 or 1700 meters really like a in, as opposed to a, a track event like with the hill and all the rest so like you really want someone who's a specialist 1500 meter runner who's going to probably be running the cross anyway and be in good nick over that distance rather than than an 800 meter runner stepping up. I know Schieffer has obviously won a few cross country titles in her day as well, which probably probably fits on the CV, you know. Yeah. And she's got a very good 1500 as well. In fairness, like it's not as if she didn't have that form. She had all that form in the book. It's just I think and I, I think she just probably didn't quite run as well. And I think Alex Bell. She, it was unfortunate for her on that third leg that she was going up against a runner like Alex Bell because the, the difference of how far Alex Bell came from behind and then went in front made it look so much worse than it is. But it's worth remembering that Alex Bell ran 10 seconds faster than any athlete um, on that leg. Like it wasn't just that she she destroyed she for she literally destroyed every other athlete out there. Yeah. Like so it was a, it was an amazing run by Alex Bell, which kind of made it made probably Shifa's run look worse than it actually was. Yeah, might see a trial run next year and have a song. Right, senior ranks, just give special mention to uh, Fanula, first of all, because she's some animal. Queen. Go yeah. on. Oh, yeah, no, I, just, I suppose, like, you're like, she could probably keep doing this for another four or five years. She's like Latin Ibrahimovic, like, she's getting it done. Could be still going at 45 or something. Like, you just, I can't see it. There's not a world that exists in my mind where Fanula's not finishing, like, ninth in the Eurocross. What, like a week after a, mar- a marathon? Doesn't matter, any time, just any time of the year, no matter what, you know, like just roll her out there, get around. Like it's ridiculous, yeah, like the fact that she's going this long. How many How many in a row, how many your crosses in a row? Well, 17 in total, I don't know how many in a row, because I think she's she's missed the odd one with injury. Is that a record of some sort? She's a record for women. Sergei Lebed, I think, has done nine, 18 or 19, so I think she's one or two short of Lebed, but she's out on her own. On the female side, which is uh, yeah, remarkable. She'll, she'll beat that, yeah. She'll get 20 in. Exactly. Surely. But I think, I think the, I suppose the lesson for everyone with Fanula is that she's the, like she is the standard bearer when it comes to Eurocross. There's 40 athletes on that team. And I think everyone probably, even the McGeans and of this world would have looked to that and just said like she is, like Fanula is the standard bearer, the senior elder stateswoman among them I suppose whereby what she does is just like inspirational to so many and I think even you know as a DCU student I was when I was back in fifth or sixth year I used to look at DCU program and think right Fanula is in DCU and Mark Christie was there at the time as well and I think those two athletes were probably a part of the big reason I went to DCU and I'm sure Ronan when you chose that path in the years that followed it was a big part of that as well and I think when we were at DCU um, we obviously got to know Fanula reasonably well and kind of just everyone in the college, your your metric for professionalism and dedication was Fanula Britain as she was then. You just looked to her and said, like, if I think I'm training hard and if I think I'm 
committed, you just look at Fanula and think, right, there is another level here that, you know, we aspire to get to in terms of her ruthlessness and her drive and uh, dedication to it. And I think that's continued. And I think what's amazing is that her consistency with that dedication and with that ability to show up, it's just it, her in, her ability to not have bad runs is absolutely ridiculous, you know, in distance running that she she rarely gets injured she never really dunks it in you know you will get even if her best possible finishing position is you know like say at the weekend there you know her physiology her fitness her recovery on the day if the cards perfectly fell her way maybe she finishes like sixth or seventh and that's dream scenario but like she finishes ninth like she'll never finish worse than 15th in that scenario, you know, even if she's a terrible run, she'll eke everything out of herself to finish 15th on Sunday. Um, and obviously she finished ninth, which is just astonishing seven days after a 223 marathon. And I don't know, I think she's a, she's a standard setter for the rest in Irish athletics. Yeah, it was incredible. Um, the men's race, just touch on Brian Fay, Ronan, did you ever think when you've met him in Belvedere, he'd be finishing top 10 in the Europeans? Uh, no, I remember seeing him. He obviously he ran with us, um, kind of coming up in in first, second, third year and stuff. I think I came to school and he was in in second year, I'd say. Um, and he was kind of on the uh, on the teams like six, seven. He was our fourth man in fourth year. Um, and then that summer of fourth year, uh, he arrived down in a pair of like kind of standard kind of Tennessee shoes, like just a that you'd wear to the shops, like a, a casual pair of runners running around. And for him to have gone from that. To whatever it is, seven years later, finishing tenth in the Eurocross is uh, hilarious, really. To be honest, more than anything else, uh, it's who would even call it inspiration. It's just ridiculous. Um, but no, it's just you know a guy that's uh, probably as Kyle was saying there about Fanula in terms of that mental mental strength. It's kind of hard to remember any runs that Brian has had hasn't had too many runs where he's had a a bad run where he's had an absolute shocker. He does kind of eke everything he can out of himself, and he's he's a, a serious competitor, which is. Not something you'd really get from him, uh, his personality, just from, from chatting to him or anything. But once you put him on the track, Jesus, he, he's some competitor. Um, and he's an incredible, incredible young man. I suppose I still keep taking him as a, as a kid, but uh, an incredible young fella. Um, but no, it's incredible to see what, he, what he's become. And and, uh, and that's a, a very, very decent team as well. Like, I mean, would he go in there as well? And uh, like you, you kind of, Cormac Dalton has a very good run as well. But the fact that you've all those under 23s coming up, Maybe there's a, a chance of a, of a decent senior a senior shout over the next couple of years. You're missing Sean Tobin there as well, who mm-hmm. you would assume would have been kind of knocking around in around where Hiko was or where Brian was, which could have made the difference really to to get a get that medal. Maybe that's the only kind of what what might have happened moment of the weekend, you know? Yeah, I couldn't think of anyone better that would would have relished the Dublin home crowd than uh, than Brian Fay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he would. He's I, like even with in terms of school and everything. Like, and, and no matter what he what he buys into, like he really just buys into the doing it for his local area, doing it for the school, doing it for for Washington and, and that kind of stuff. He'd buy into that big time. And um, no, he'd have been buzzing in the weeks coming up to that race. Um, so I'm not surprised that he, he had such a big run. But a lot more to come from him. You know, he's at the end of the day like he's just three, doing three days a week when he was in fifth year, and and uh, and yes, now now where where he's at now. So I think he's going to improve even more not to put too much pressure on him but I think we, we'll see a lot more out of Brian in the next couple of years and I think he's an example as well that you know sometimes all the money or these junior performance pathways and people don't hit a certain standard at the age of 17 and they're kind of like discarded and almost exist outside the program then and if it wasn't for Ronan Duggan's sensible guidance and later the baton passes to Phelan Kelly and again Brian Fay is doing it off no support as well. And, you know, now obviously he's well supported at the University of Washington. Um, you know, and he's had very good guidance, but he's been very lucky. And I think we have to recognize that you have a guy there who at the age of, what's he now, 22, 23? Yeah, just turned 23. Like he's, he's finished 10th. He's finished 11 seconds off the medals in the senior race at European Cross Country. And if you have a thousand Brian Fays out there in Ireland, which obviously you're not, but if there were a thousand, 999 of them are going to not be lucky enough to travel the path that he found and have the mentors he had and have the support he had. 
to take the course he did, unfortunately. And it's a uh, it's testament to the people around him, I suppose, that he's got to where he is. And yeah, I think like Fanula, he's an absolute warrior once he gets out there, whether it's a mile or 10k. And I think he'll run some marathon down the line because he's quite low to the ground, very efficient mover. And I think he has that kind of engine where you can just imagine him running five minute miles until the cows come home. Um, so yeah, lots to look forward to for him. And I think sometimes you can kind of get uh, misled almost by the times, but like when you actually look at it, I think uh, he was he was three places ahead of Eco, but he was actually 20 seconds ahead of Eco, who was 13th. So even though Jimmy Gressier was seven places ahead of Faye, he was only 11 seconds. So Brian Faye does not have all that far to go before he becomes a serious contender at the Euro level, obviously, accepting the presence of Jacob Bingerbrickson, who will just win the next 15 if he wants to. Um, did you agree with Sonia Sullivan that Barry Keane should have been picked on the team? I personally think unless you're shown up, I don't think he did enough at NCAAs to justify it. Um, and I think... I think they probably did have the leeway to maybe pick him after he ran that 5K, as, as great as that was. But I think, I don't know, I always think horses for courses. And I think the cross country is such a different ball game to run in, in BU, as brilliant on a track, as brilliant as that 5K was for Barry Keane. And unless you've done it on cross country, to, and it has to be pretty unequivocal, the NCAA performances, because so many times we've seen NCAA come, at least come back tired at the end of a long season and not perform at Eurocross. Um, albeit that Brian Fay and Cormac Dalton very clearly did perform. But I think I'd always like to see the procedure being like, if you're going to if you're gonna be picked for a cross-country team, then the form you should be picked on should be cross-country form. Fair enough. Yeah, very hard to come back from that at like... If he's running that well over 5k indoors as well, and I, I, I like normally, you know, me, I'd love to take a shot at the uh, athletics Ireland, but uh, I find it very hard to, to kind of turn around to that six guy on the team after you've gone through the process of selecting and all the rest, and that process is done, and then this guy runs a savage 5k. I know there's no what I what, what I'm not sure the word, but there's no um. You have to help me out here, lads. But uh, like, you can't have sympathy on, on, on anyone at that moment in time, and you've got to be cutthroat. But it's very hard to turn around to a fellow who hasn't ran any cross country and go, "Yeah, he, this guy's going in because he's ran he's ran this on the track." Like, uh, and to justify that, even though look, it is an Irish record, but probably of not that it wasn't a savage run, but it's not as strong as as, as some of the outdoor records because we haven't been running indoors as much as as many others. Even though we do have some good indoor records, you know. Yeah. Okay, overall, great day out. So are we going to have thousands of people showing up to Abbottstown next November for National Cross Country? Yeah, no. a thousand. <laughs> uh, 95% of who are participants and then the others are parents who are made to pay through the nose to watch their own children compete, having paid for their children to partake in the local club all year, thereby discouraging them to be involved in athletics. It was a bit of a, a perfect storm, in fairness, in the fact that You've had obviously with COVID and everything else, there's very little happening in the country. And like pretty much anyone I know that was involved in athletics seemed to be there. Um, which, you know, is that that a good a good or a bad thing that maybe that, that there was still a, there was still people who weren't uh, involved in athletics able to get tickets. So maybe there's only maybe six thousand people actually care about athletics in the country. But uh, they all made their way up on the day and like as you were saying saying college, it seemed to be everyone that had any even passing interest in the sport was there and, and made the effort whereas they probably haven't had the chance to, like like if you're going to sporting events all the time or you're constantly on the road over the last two years you might have gone ah oh, i'm not driving up the road for that but it was kind of like a, it's the only thing that's been happening for athletics people over the last two years so they all made the effort to get up there yeah and no, it was a brilliant day and hats off to to all who pulled it off like you know it was uh, Abbottstown's a, a balls of a place to get to and park in for anyone who's in that park and ride system and you know you would still wonder I think it I do still think it would have been better in century just for that purpose and it's uh I still prefer the course in century but like for what I mean it was amazing days and I, I can't remember a day in Irish athletics like that really ever in terms of and this, you know, the World Cross in Dublin, they made a horrific decision in 2002 to keep all the spectators in the stands about 100 metres away from the course. And you were just looking into the distance at Kenanisa Bekele. It was, that was a toxic decision to have everyone in the grandstands um, for that. Whereas on Sunday, it was like everyone out in the course and the athletes got to run through that wall of sound. And all of them basically said, this is an amazing, the athletes from abroad as well, it's great to see. 
And, you know, there's like, you'd be delighted for people like John Cronin, Athletics Ireland and Liam Hennessy, like who put so much into this and they're, you know, they're good, genuine athletics people. They're, they'll, they'll be in athletics back in their 20s and 30s and they'll be in athletics in an official capacity. And even if they're never in an official capacity, they'll be in athletics until the day they leave us and they're true athletics men. And for all those people who pour so much of themselves into the sport, like you were delighted to see it pull off with a day like that that was just an absolute celebration for what the sport can be at its best you know it was a it was a brilliant day um I'm conscious as well we we glossed over Sarah Healy's run which was uh the second best individual performance of the day for Ireland was it after McElhaney uh fifth place in the under 23 women so big shout out to her as well and uh again I don't think there's anything Sarah could have done differently. And it was for an athlete like McElhenney, who's often been quite hard on herself after all her underage success. It was good to see her kind of smile and just say like, you know, look, fifth was as good as I am on the day. Um, and she gave it everything she had. And just, she was probably up against better athletes on the day, but after a tough, tough 2020 for her and a kind of a, getting back to her brilliant best in 2021, it was brilliant to see her again, returning across country to that kind of, star she was as a schools athlete where she was just rinsing everyone in the Irish schools all the way up along and now she's kind of shown that she's not just the kind of a Ferrari on the track she's also an athlete who can be up there at Eurocross both under 23 and in the future at senior level kind of carrying the mental alongside the Fanulas and Michelle Finns and so many others. Yeah super day um, that's it all capped off so it's the end of the year do a few top moments Carl what's been your favourite moment of the year? Warhol. It'll begin and end with Warhol. Of course. The greatest race ever, they said. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it's the, I think if you look back, you think Jesse Owens in 1936 and then you're like Bob Beeman in 1968 and then Usain Bolt in 2008. And it's not just been sexist, but when you do think of the mega Olympic moments, those three to me in athletics are the three that probably come to mind most immediately, maybe like Emil Zadepec. Um, and now I think, and it's unfair as well that the women, Sydney McLaughlin, did what they did one day later to Warhol. But as I said to someone, it's like the moon landing, you know, it's like Buzz Aldrin walking on the moon after Neil Armstrong. It's like, ah, yeah, but Neil Armstrong did it first. Or who's the second person to climb Mount Everest? And just because of the way Warhol arrived and the fact that it was such a brilliant race um, and absolutely no one saw a sub 46 coming that way. I think that was... I, I think it's the best performance in Olympic history, to be honest. And uh, I think I think we'll still be talking, even with super spikes and all the rest and technology evolving, I think we'll still be talking when I'm, when we're 50 years down the line, we'll still be talking about that war home run. What was it, it was like? The beam. What was it like in the stadium? Uh, weird. I think it was, uh, it, like, it was obviously really quiet, but even the, I think it was, it looked like a normal race, you know, because we, I'd seen Warham win the world title in Doha. That was a kind of an underwhelming finishing time. I think they didn't break 47 that time. Um, and everyone thought they might break the world record. Um, and then so it looked like the exact same race rerun. And I don't think anyone realized as they were going around just how fast it was. And I, so I think the moment of wonder was just like, oh, who's going to win? And then the last 50, it was like, okay, Warham's got the edge. And it was a brilliant race up to that point. But then I think that moment was just when the clock and when everyone saw the clock, there was this collective gasps and a kind of like a, a wheezing from the journalists and everyone you kind of met was just like didn't know what to say like you go down to the mix zone and everyone was just like everyone just said like what the fuck was that you know that's what everyone was just saying to each other and uh you know Ger O'Donnell was there working with Team Ireland and Phelan Kelly was over there on the back straight and like I remember chatting to them that day and all, all of us just said like that's this, this shows we haven't got out much in our lives, but all of us just said that that's the best thing I've ever seen. Like, not just in sport, like that's just the most impressive jaw-dropping thing I've ever seen in life. Like, it was uh, utterly astonishing. Anyway, I'm, I'm rambling. What were your best moments? Ronan, your highlight of the year? Uh, probably uh, Italy winning the penalty shootout. Um, <laughs> again, tremendous sitting in, in his very spot. John um, Harrington oh, making the European uh, final the same week. Uh no no that wasn't that was the second most important thing that happened that week. Uh, by Ronan Duggan. Yeah yeah he, he finished uh, dead last. Um, <laughs> no but, but he, uh, made it. he made it exactly yeah. Um I look obviously Warhol in terms of your international athletics or any of that kind of stuff but uh 
I'd say moment of the year is kind of a couple of different moments, but from the same athlete, and that'd probably be the emergence of Nick Griggs. Um, kind of back in, in late May, and he was like, oh, some child has ran 14, 15 up in, in Belfast. And you're like, oh, right. Oh, it's obviously some lunatic parent there driving their, their child to, to do running 90 miles a week or something. And then you actually get to see him, and you're like, oh, God, this guy is the real deal. And he's lightly trained, and he's in, and just even just to watch him, like his, when you actually first got to see him in, in, in person, you're like, wow, this guy can move. Um, and it does very rarely, we kind of said during the summer there, like there's kind of your Sarah Healy moment when, when she kind of burst on the scene, that kind of stuff. And Kieran McGee, when she burst on the scene, it's, it's very rare in Irish athletics. And uh, I suppose in other countries, you're going to see athletes like that more often, but we see them so rarely. You kind of, you do remember that, that kind of wow moment when they, they burst on the scene, but that he's probably the, the kind of the highlight of the summer for me outside of, of the, the, the obvious choice of Warhol. I'm going for the hipster's choice of Nick Griggs. Well, that's not really hipster. Come on, Liam, you give us a hipster. <laughs> As mine. a man who's into hipster music, give us your most oh, hipster athletic choice of the year. Stuff. My favourite moment was the 23s winning when that scoreboard went up and they'd won gold. That was great. It's not very hipster, though, is it? No, I know, but look, to be honest. And uh, and an Ennis track man among them. Two. Oh, sorry, not an Ennis track man. He is. He is yeah. Ennis track. Oh, yes. Yeah, there is. Sorry. Two, two European medals for Ennis track on Sunday. Not bad. Yes. Not bad day at the office, eh? Not bad for a small little club, eh? Whereas their bonfires lit. Oh, there wasn't a, a cow milk, as they're saying, County Clare on. 1995 revisited. Yeah, it feels like 95, that's what we were all saying. And what what are we most looking forward to in 2022? That was my last question. Well, my next question was your Irish athlete of the year. Well, Ronan, you've given your answer. I'll think of another one. Kyle, go, go for it there. No, I need time to think here. Why don't you talk? Um... <laughs> She's outside of that. Rashida. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. I'm I'm wrong. Yeah. I'm yeah. Number one, Rashida with a bullet. Uh double European gold. Uh, in my opinion, very humble opinion. Um, should have been picked for the third spot on the mixed relay for Tokyo after her 50.9 second relay split at the NCAA's fastest. Need we remind everyone of anyone to run a relay split in Irish athletics this year. Um, so yeah I think she should have gone to Olympics uh, anyway she'll I'm sure go to many other Olympics and uh, yeah Rashida Adelecki double gold I mean obviously we've seen other people plenty of other people win European gold and medals before and they haven't kicked on but I think with Rashida much like Ronan was mentioning with Nick Griggs you kind of get the impression you know she's making the decisions in her career by relocating over to Texas that kind of hints at her ambition and her commitment to go stay the course in this sport and do it to the best of her ability and I think Rashida will be uh, very much on the upward trajectory in the years to come despite her already being the fastest Irish woman in history at the age of 18 this summer yeah that's amazing what are yourself Liam best athlete of the year oh god um you can't pick someone from any track probably Dara like because he's that he had a tough kind of start of the year and he just kind of st- just rolled it out and then got his medal on Sunday. It was great. And as you said, like executed it perfectly on the, on the big stage. Yeah, it delighted for him as well because like, you know, it, after that year, if it goes badly at the weekend, there's only so much, no matter how resilient an athlete is, there's only so much an athlete can take as well. And like, you know, that's, if, if the weekend doesn't go as planned, then it's, it's a tough 2021. It feels like a write-off, even though obviously he's in savage shape. Um, so you'd be delighted for him. Like, and the fact that on RT News or on RT coverage, he uh, referred to the whole thing as scandalous, which is a great kind of arc uh, phrase, which I really, I thoroughly enjoyed when he threw that one out there. Dara's got a great turn of phrase. I remember at the World Cross in Aarhus in 20, whatever it was, two years ago three years ago and he they, he talked about the course and he said oh my legs turned to jelly he was like the course is mad it's like Takeshi's castle <laughs> and I was like that's the best description I've ever heard and I put it in an article and I that's think brilliant. whoever I was writing for Runner's World or someone cut out that line and I was like that's the best line in the whole fucking piece it's like you just described the world cross as like Takeshi's castle and it was as well it was just like sadistic it was like how can we mess with these athletes more let's run them up fucking wall of a museum for the crack um, and yeah I'm, delighted for Dara as well I'm going to use that phrase all the time now just random places it's like Takeshi's castle yeah 
<laughs> scandalous. We need to bring scandalous back. Bring it to the bring it to the mainstream. 2022. So what are you looking forward to? Worlds in Eugene, you'd have to say, would be pretty sick. I would say. Yeah, um, I think you've you've two class championships in two class places. You've the new Hayward Field, obviously, for the worlds, which will just be crazy. Um, won't be too handy for Irish audiences in terms of burning the midnight oil to watch the action. But then you have the Olympic Stadium in Munich hosting the Europeans, and the big guide there is the 2018 Europeans in Berlin. The Germans will pack that stadium every night. Uh, with their medals, there'll be a great atmosphere. There should be, you know, you'd imagine Thomas Barr and Kieran McGain, perhaps Mark English, should be in and around the medal hunt, certainly in the top five or six anyway, spots. And that, I think, that's what makes the Europeans so much better, even though the overall action might not be as high quality as the world. The fact that Irish athletes are so much closer and in and around the medal hunt makes them really connect so much better, I guess, with the Irish public. So, yeah, those two champs will be brilliant. Ronan, you're the same. Yeah, you'd have to look at like even the, the summer as a whole there, like the fact that those two two are kind of back to back in, in the summer makes it a, it's going to be a fantastic championships. And there's not really not a huge amount else going on at that time of the year. Like obviously normally at that you'd have was it a World Cup in that in that same same kind of band, whereas it that World Cup's in in uh, in the football is in, in November. So you're gonna have like mm-hmm. a, a friendly free summer there, um, which would be great. And even that Berlin Berlin championship or uh where's it is it Munich, isn't it? Yeah. It's so like it's it's relatively uh accessible for for ourselves as well to get over to so you could actually see a, a reasonable crowd at it as well in terms of the hours to travel. So you know it's yeah that that'll probably be the 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 uh what's gonna be the highlight of next summer is th- those two back to back a summer of athletics. Be great. I can't wait for your cross in Italy. Yeah, that's cool. you're all you're all your cross these days. You know, we're we're oh, already moving on exactly. Nah, he's so here. hipster. He's so hipster. He just couldn't. He couldn't. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't talk about her, the Euro outdoors at world. Like I'm already thinking of Euro cross, man. He's all about the Kent, Celtic international cross country. Yeah, he's all about the Talton games. I think that's where he's it's all at, about that's... the AI games. Tom <laughs> <laughs> no, Brennan Memorial Five game. AI games. The jingle bells. Where dreams go to die. On a side note, great to see that the Belfast Irish Miners Club meet has got continental tour status there. Just saw, saw it on Twitter before I came on. Great stuff. Don't don't mention the, the words Belfast and IMC. It'll get the whole thing cancelled. Yeah, true. That's it, Les. Thanks for doing that. Thanks it was a pleasure. Much. Can I give a message? Hello? Go ahead, man. Yeah, I'd just like to say, um, let's have some music now, huh? Okay, okay. <laughs> Thank you. You're right.
Then we'll rise. 